0: For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The story of the conversion of two notable sceptics of the 18th century Is a great illustration of just how convincing and conclusive is the evidence for the resurrection. Those two skeptics, known as Gilbert West and Lord Littleton, were brilliant intellectuals in their day, very clever men. Clever men who had uttered many clever sallies against Bible Christianity, and they decided that if two great fundamentals of the gospel message were overthrown, then Christianity itself would crumble into ruins. Those fundamentals were the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, later to be known as Paul the Apostle. So Gilbert West undertook to write a treatise on the resurrection, seeking to prove that it was a fabrication and a falsehood. Littleton vowed to produce a treatise demonstrating that Paul was not in fact miraculously converted on the Damascus Road at all. And so the pair of them started to sift through the evidence, which they believed was pure fabrication, and which they were determined to expose and destroy. From time to time, West and Littleton would meet together in conference to see how they were getting on. And one day Gilbert West said to his friend I have something very important to tell you. You know Littleton how keen I was to expose as pure pure fabrication the resurrection of Christ. I set about seeking to thoroughly sift the evidence. And in doing so, I had to be scrupulously honest. I had to be sincere. I had to be honourable. And I had to forsake my own prejudices and act on strict legal principles. Having pursued this line, I have been forced to the conclusion that Jesus Christ, in fact, really did rise from the dead. Now you can laugh if you want, Littleton. But I got down on my knees and I asked that risen saviour to save me and he has done it. And Littleton looked at him and replied West, strange to relate, I've had a similar experience. I too sifted through the evidence very sincerely, candidly and honestly And the more I weighed the evidence, the more I was forced to the conclusion that Saul of Tarsus, later to become Paul, was really remarkably converted on the Damascus Road. And that being so, as an honest person, I could do no other but fall on my knees myself and ask the same Christ to save me, and he has done it. In the course of time, the treatises written by West and Littleton appeared. West's treatise, Vindicating the Resurrection. Lord Littleton's treatise, The Conversion of Paul. And both of those treatises, by the way, are available still in libraries. Amazing, isn't it? Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. The preacher F.F. Bruce pointed out that these words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the first few verses, constitute one of the earliest pieces of documentary evidence concerning the resurrection of our Lord. This statement of fact is dated less than 25 years after the event when Christ rose. So impressive was this supporting evidence that it affected everyone who heard it. Among the tens of thousands who were transformed by the gospel of the resurrection, the Apostle Paul names three such witnesses in this very chapter. In verse 5, he mentions Cephas. That's a name that was given to Simon Peter. In verse 7, he refers to James. And then he refers to himself in verse number 8. Sir Edward Clarke, who lived in the 19th century up until 1931 in the 20th century, he was an English lawyer And a politician. And this is what he said As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidence for the events of the resurrection. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the High Court, I have secured the verdict on evidence which is not nearly so compelling. The apostle Paul tells us here a number of things about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. For example, he says in verse 15, or sorry verse 14 of chapter 15, in verse 17 and in verse 19, if Christ be not risen from the dead, if Christ be not risen then is our preaching vain. So we're wasting our time being in church and hearing the preaching of the Word. And your faith is also vain. It's a waste of time for you to believe anything in regard to Christianity. He goes on to say, in verse 17, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You're yet in your sins. So you're not forgiven at all. Your sins have not been removed by Christ if he has not risen from the dead. And then in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If this is all there is, then of course when we die, there is no hope. So it's very important that we understand the significance of And the value of this event that we commemorate on Easter Sunday. And every Lord's Day in fact. Everything depends upon this central truth. A risen Christ. If Christ was not raised, our preaching is vain. Our faith is false. And we are actually in a state of abject misery. So today what I want to do is consider the witnesses to the resurrection. Who and what are those witnesses? Well first of all we have to think about the truth itself of the resurrection. What is the significance of it? The Bible teaches us that God the Father raised Christ from the dead in fulfilment of the scriptures. That's what Paul says here. A couple of times over, in verse 3, according to the Scriptures, in verse 4, according to the Scriptures. He declared Christ, the Lord did, the Father did, he declared Christ to be his Son. He did that at his baptism, when there was a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Again, he testified to that at the transfiguration, when the Lord went up into the mountain with three of his disciples. Peter, James and John, there was a voice from heaven. They said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. So God testified to the fact that Christ was his son. And the resurrection testifies to the acceptance of Christ's redemptive work, his sacrifice, and it guarantees the justification, the spiritual life And the final resurrection of all true believers. These are all predicated upon this truth of the resurrection. If Christ is not risen, he's not the Son of God. If Christ is not risen, his work has not been accepted by the Father. If Christ is not risen, believers cannot be justified before God on account of his work. They don't have spiritual life. And they will not experience, in the end, resurrection. So let's think about the fact of the resurrection being at the very heart of the gospel. Isn't it interesting that when Paul began here in 1 Corinthians 15, he said to those in the church there at Corinth, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. What is gospel? The word gospel means good news or glad tidings. So here's the good news. What is that good news? Well, it's that which he said, I received myself first of all. And that's really important for preachers. (coughs) Paul also said this in 1 Corinthians 11 when he talked about the, the details about the communion feast. He said, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. I'm talking to you about something that I myself believe. I'm talking to you about something that I myself have experienced. Perhaps this is why many preachers do not preach the gospel because they've never received it themselves. How can you speak to God's salvation and what the Lord has done for your soul if the Lord has not done anything for your soul? It would be a bit like a thief lecturing people on honesty. So first of all, Paul says... Here's something that I believe because I have received it myself. The Lord delivered it to me. And here's the truth. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And He rose again the third day. The fact of the resurrection, therefore, is at the very heart of the gospel. Now, as we study the Bible, we see that there are a number of witnesses to the resurrection. The witness that I want us to think about, and obviously we're in here immediately, is the witness of the New Testament. Before we come to the Old Testament, we'll do it in reverse. We'll come to the New Testament first. And we see that the witness of the New Testament is that the resurrection was the work of the Father. And there are so many scriptures that prove this. Let me just point some of these out to you. You can look them up or just take a note of them and then look them up later. I'll probably get there quicker because I have these notes in front of me and you have to follow on behind. So if you want to just write down the references, you can do that. Look them up afterwards. But I'll go to these references. Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. Speaking of Christ, it says, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So, God is referring to the Father there, raised up Christ. Look at chapter 3 and verse 15. Well, we'll read verse 14 as well. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. That was Judas, or sorry, Barabbas. Remember, they were given the choice. Do you want this man to be set free? Or Barabbas? They said, set Barabbas free, the murderer and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead. Again, it's showing us that the Father raised Him from the dead. And this is a recurring theme in the New Testament. I'll just pick out a few more verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Talking about the mighty power that He has, which He wrought in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. The book of Colossians that we've been studying recently, chapter 2, verse 12, says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. You see this. God the Father raised him. Again, he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter number 8 and verse 11. It refers to this. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit and so on. The Spirit of God raised up Jesus from the dead. Again, this is something that was referred to by the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He actually referred to it in this way. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, that just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, and that word means made alive, by the Spirit. So the Lord was raised by the power of the Father, by the power of the Spirit. And he was raised by his own power. And this is a remarkable thing. The whole trinity is involved in the resurrection. Because in John's Gospel, chapter 10, the Lord Jesus, when he was speaking about himself as the good shepherd, he said in verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So when the Lord Jesus died He died voluntarily. He laid down His life. Even though men did what they did to take away his life. He actually gave up his life. But the same is true in the resurrection. He took again life unto himself. So he's raised by the Father, he's raised by the Spirit, and he's raised by his own power. This is the witness of the New Testament. And the centrality, the importance of the resurrection can be seen in the great trouble, we might call it, to which the New Testament goes And the Gospels especially to give the facts concerning our Lord's appearances. Just read it for yourself. Now again, we don't have time to look up all these verses. But I want to mention them. If you read John chapter 20 verse 18. John 20 verse 18. And Mark chapter 16 verse 9. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had been a wicked lady. She was converted. Her life was changed. Her life was radically altered. She became a devotee of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus in the two scriptures that I just mentioned. But more than that, there were several women who saw the Lord Jesus after his resurrection. Matthew 28 verse 9. Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, that's these women. Behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So there's several ladies there, and you can see them identified earlier in that chapter. And then, of course, there was Simon Peter in Luke chapter 24 and verse 34, it says that they said, the eleven that were up in the upper room, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And obviously Paul confirmed that in First Corinthians 15 in verse 5 when he said he appeared to Cephas. And Cephas, if you look into it, was a name for Simon Peter. Luke chapter 24 records the conversation Jesus had with the two disciples. It mentions them there. Two of them who went to a village called Emmaus. Not Emmaus, Pennsylvania. But Emmaus over in the Holy Land. Which was from Jerusalem. About three score furlongs. And it says they talked together of all the things that had happened. The Bible tells us about those two people. One of them's name was Cleopas, verse 18 tells us. And there's a discussion there between these two and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was obvious that they didn't believe he was risen from the dead. Their hopes had been dashed. They they said, "We, we trusted that it had been he that would have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And so what they're really saying is, this is the third day. He was supposed to rise in the third day. It hasn't happened. But the Lord was right in front of them they were talking to him. Their eyes were holding, you see, that they could not understand that it was him. And by the way, isn't that how it is with the unsaved before they're converted? It's as if they have blinders on. It's like that for all of us before we're saved. It's like we just we can't see it. We just don't recognize it. It doesn't mean anything to us. And then the Lord takes the blinders off. I once was blind, the man in John 9 said, but now I see. The Lord has showed me this truth. It's as if the light has come on and all the darkness has disappeared and our eyes that were holding now see Him. And we recognize Christ. And we can commune with Christ. That happened to these two on the road to Emmaus. But you'll notice that the Lord Jesus spoke to them, the risen Christ. And then later on, He appeared to the eleven as they were eating. We read that in Luke 24. And it says that the Lord Jesus stood in the midst of them. Verse 33 records that those two on the road to Emmaus rose up, they returned to Jerusalem, but they found the eleven gathered together. Now why were there eleven? Because Judas Iscariot was no longer with them. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And so they're, they're talking to them about the fact that they now recognized that the Lord was risen. These are people who were saying, Our hopes have been dashed. It's terrible what has happened. He died and this is the third day and there's nothing has happened. And now they're saying, the Lord is risen indeed. Because He made Himself known to them on the road to Emmaus. And then He appeared, even as they were talking to the eleven. Verse 36 of Luke 24 says, And as they thus spake, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And of course they thought it was a ghost. They thought they had seen a spirit. Verse thirty seven says that the word spirit and the word ghost is the same word in the English. That's translated from the Greek word. It's the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. They thought they had seen a ghost. And the Lord said, Look, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet. And it is I myself. Look. See my hands? See my feet? See the nail prints? Do you recognize that it's me? And then he said, handle me and see. Look, touch me. For a spirit, a ghost, hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is Luke 24, and if you look at the corresponding portion in John's Gospel, in the chapter 20, you'll see that he showed them his hands and his side. And Thomas was there. Initially, Thomas was doubting Thomas. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. The Lord appeared to the disciples in John 20. The Bible says that Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. But then the next time they met, Thomas was there. And they're talking about the Lord appearing in the midst. And he says, I don't really believe. I don't believe it. Unless I see. And unless I'm able to touch him myself. I'm not going to believe. And so the Lord Jesus actually conceded to that request of his. And you read that beautiful passage in John chapter 20. Where it says, when the doors were shut after eight days again. The disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Pick them out from the rest. Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. That side that had been opened by the Roman spear. He says, And be not faithless, but believing. look at what Thomas said. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Oh how the cults will tell you that Jesus Christ is not God. The Mormons, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as they call themselves, come around your doors and tell you that Jesus Christ is not God. The so-called Jehovah's Witnesses, what a misnomer that is. They're not witnesses to Jehovah. They're witnesses to the teachings of Charles Taze Russell. They're Russellites. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. I've had them at my door mocking, mocking the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Mocking the doctrine of the Trinity. And all the cults can all be lined up and they have this common denominator. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. Oh but if they were like Thomas and they met the Lord They would say my Lord and my God A preacher was once asked How do you know that Jesus Christ is God He said there's two things Number one the Bible says it And number two What Jesus Christ has done for me In my life only God could do My Lord and my God The risen Christ and then you have the apostles at the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberius, in the next chapter, John chapter 21. What a beautiful story that is. And this time it's not Thomas who's being singled out from the rest, it's Peter. Remember the last time Peter had any dealings with the Lord prior to the cross? He was standing with the enemies of Christ. He had no business standing with the enemies of Christ, but he's standing there and he's warming his hands At a fire of coals. Read about it in John chapter 18. He's standing with the enemies of Christ. Warming his hands. Making himself comfortable while the Lord Jesus is inside that hall being tortured. And Peter had denied the Lord. Three times he was asked the question. Were you with this man? No. I don't know this man. And he denied the Lord with oaths and curses. You know, it's amazing to me, and should be amazing to you, how far a believer can fall if the Lord allows him. And sometimes we get very high and mighty. Oh, I would never do that. You'd never find me doing this. Don't talk like that. Don't speak like that. He that thinketh, he standeth, take heed lest he fall, the Bible says. It's the Lord's sustaining grace that keeps us. If He was to take His hand from us for a second, there's no telling what we would do. And Peter is a good example of that. Here's one of the Lord's closest disciples, a man who's defending the Lord in the garden, takes out his sword, and he's going to take the head off one of those who come to arrest Christ. But then within a short time, just a very short time, he's denying the Lord three times with oaths and curses. What's the significance of that? You come to John 21 and Peter's out fishing. He's back to the old life. See, he was a fisherman and he heard the Lord saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter, you've got a new job now. You're not a fisherman for fish anymore. You're a fisher of men. But now here he is with six others and they're out on the sea of Tiberius. And it's a very warm evening because He was actually naked, the Bible says in John 21 and verse 7. And he took his fisher's coat and put it on him and jumped into the sea. Because the Lord Jesus had appeared on the shore. What a touching scene this is. One man called this breakfast on the beach. It tells us in verse 9 that they came to land and as soon as they were come on land they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. And you can only imagine what was in Peter's mind when he saw that fire of coals. The last time he saw a fire of coals he was standing with the enemies of the Lord denying the Lord. And now there's the Lord standing beside this fire of coals and he's made his breakfast for him. And he takes special dealings with Peter there. It's a beautiful chapter. Three times he asked him, Lovest thou me? Why did he ask him three times? Because Peter denied him three times. And that's what grieved Peter so much. The Bible tells us that here. That as soon as he asked him the third time, verse 17, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said on them the third time, Lovest thou me? And then he said, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And the Lord recommissioned him. The risen Christ. But he appeared to those other six that day on the beach. And then, of course, he appeared to above 500 brethren at once. Read that in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6. More than 500 people at one time saw the risen Christ. Were they all liars when they talked about it? Then there was James, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And all the apostles, we've already mentioned this in Luke 24. You have the witness of the New Testament that Christ is raised. What about the witness of the Old Testament? The Old Testament Scriptures... Actually, foretold the resurrection of Christ the Messiah was not to be allowed to experience corruption that is in the Old Testament you read that in Psalm 16 and verse 10 the fulfillment of it is in Acts chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 He was not to experience corruption. You know, the Lord Jesus died and his body never experienced what our bodies would experience if we died. Because when our bodies die, they immediately start to corrupt. If you leave a body long enough after death, and it's not embalmed, it will begin to smell. That happened with Lazarus remember how the sisters were all worried about Jesus raising him They said Lord he's already been in the grave four days already and that hot eastern climate by this time he stinketh and the reason for that is that he was not embalmed how do you know he wasn't embalmed because the ointment that was for his embalming his sister kept for Christ but the Lord Jesus' body never ever saw any corruption the Lord Jesus bore our sins but he has no sin and that's the reason why his body never corrupted but it lay in the grave for those days until he was raised and the Old Testament said that it would happen and everything written about Christ in the law of Moses in the prophets and in the Psalms demanded fulfillment you read in the book of Job where Job believed in the resurrection. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. This is the witness of the Old Testament. Abraham believed in the resurrection. Hebrews 11 tells us that. Whenever Isaac was on the altar and then he wasn't killed and he took him back off the altar, that was a picture of Christ's resurrection and the Holy Spirit makes that clear in in Hebrews chapter 11 when He tells us that He received Isaac from the dead in a figure or typically because the resurrection was believed in Old Testament days they believed it remember that story of David he committed adultery with a woman and she had a baby to him terrible sin that he committed that child only lived for a week and then the child passed away and David had been praying and fasting while the child was alive but when the child died he began to eat again he wasn't fasting anymore and his servant said what is it why are you why are you not mourning why are you not fasting now that the child is gone David said here's the reason because I can't bring him back, but I shall go to him. I shall go to him. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant that whenever he died, he would go to heaven. Ultimately, he would be raised. David believed in the resurrection. The witness of the Old Testament is clear. And that, my friends, is why it says in 1 Corinthians 15, in those first few verses, according to the scriptures. Think about that. What scriptures? Well, there were some of the scriptures of the New Testament had not yet been written. They had not, not yet been penned. Paul there is referring to the entire body of the Old Testament scripture. When he says that Christ died according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised again according to the scriptures. What is he talking about? He's talking about what we call the Old Testament. And Paul, of course, being a member of the Sanhedrin when he was Saul of Tarsus, was a student of those Hebrew Scriptures. He knew the Bible inside out and back to front, even though he wasn't converted. And from his familiarity with those Scriptures, he could declare with categorical impressiveness that Christ rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In other words, the Law, the Prophets and the Psalms all predicted the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And against the background of such Old Testament predictions, Paul announces, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. His death was foretold in the Old Testament. And he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The resurrection of the Saviour is a fact of prophecy. But think about another witness to the resurrection. The witness of Christ himself. We don't have time to look up all these scriptures, but you will find that at the beginning of our Lord's ministry, he had hinted at his resurrection. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 2, from verse 19. So the Lord Lord Jesus knew all that was going to happen to him. In fact, he knows everything that's going to happen to any of us. Because he's purposed it. But the witness of Christ here, at the very beginning of his ministry, we see it in John chapter 2 from verse 19. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, they misunderstood his words. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? What do you mean you're going to build the temple in three days? It took forty six years to build this structure. Ah, Abbot, read on. But he spake of the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And that's why you will read at the time of the resurrection itself, when the angel talked about him being risen from the dead, you'll notice that he said, He is risen as he said. As he said. Did you not believe him? Did you not believe him when he said, while he was on this earth, while he was alive before the cross, that he would be risen? That he'd be raised from the dead? Matthew 28, verse 5 and 6. The angel answered and said to the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. You don't believe it? Come and look. Look and see. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes are there. He rose right through the clothes. If you study it carefully, you find that's exactly the way it was. The head would have been wrapped with a separate napkin and the body with other wrappings. And they were left, just as if there was a body still inside, laying flat on the floor of the tomb. But he was gone. He rose right through the clothes. The resurrection indeed is a miracle. And it's something that he himself talked about. Whenever Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah in Matthew chapter 16 the first very clear revelation about the resurrection was given to him and to the disciples. Matthew 16 and verse 21 From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and look at this and be raised again the third day. The experience of the transfiguration was not to be reported until after the resurrection, according to Mark 9, verse 9. But Jesus clearly was a witness to his own resurrection, even as he spoke to his own disciples. Matthew 20, verse 19. Mark 14, verse 28. And then, of course, the fact of the resurrection was witnessed to by the apostles think about that time in John 20 when one week had passed just one week and all that time a small group within the crowded city of Jerusalem claimed to have experienced the most astonishing event known to mankind at least 17 people if you count them up Thirteen men and four women could testify that they were eyewitnesses. They had actually seen the crucified prophet from Galilee who had risen from the dead. As yet though, they and their friends retained that secret to themselves. The Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities had only heard that the tomb was empty and the body of Jesus was missing. They had to come up with a a tall story to explain it. They weren't able to explain it. But they tried to explain it. And so when the guards that were put onto that tomb of Jesus were examined, they told their superiors, his disciples came by night and stole away his body. Well that was like signing their own death warrant because the penalty for a Roman soldier sleeping on duty was death. And there were a whole bunch of them. Did they all fall asleep? Would the disciples who had been scurrying away in fear, they all forsook Jesus and fled? Not a one of them remained except John came to the cross and stood under it with his mother Mary and the others. They were like a bunch of frightened rabbits and they headed off into an upper room where they were gathered, the Bible says, for fear of the Jews. So here's these men, afraid of what would happen to them. But they're bold enough to take on this group of Roman soldiers and roll back that stone and take Jesus' body away. Really? You expect me to believe that? But that's what people said in that day. And that saying continued to be repeated. Because they had to come up with some story. But the body of Jesus was never found. A lot of years back there was a whole lot of talk about the Shroud of Turin. But it was like everything else of that kind. It was a fake. Over in Italy, in a little village called Loreto, there is a small home that's supposed to be the home that Mary and Joseph and Jesus lived in, in Nazareth. How did it get to Loreto in Italy? Did the angels fly away with this little wooden structure and, and, and rebuild it? It's always amazing to me what people are willing to believe rather than just the simple truth. I remember one time I was visiting in the U.S. when I lived overseas and the whole big kerfuffle in Chicago because there was a statue there in one of the churches that had started crying. That's right. A statue was weeping tears. That's what they said. People were coming from everywhere to see it of course when I was a boy in my home city of Belfast there was what purported to be the bleeding bone of St Gerard it was kept in a certain chapel there in Belfast and people came from miles around to see this little wizened up piece of something that looked like a little drop of blood had come out of it and people thought this was a great miracle and I remember thinking even if that was true what's the point in it? What would be the point of it? It was a hoax. Just like a lot of these other things. People are eating pasta and they see some vision of somebody from the Bible in, in the midst of their pasta. It's amazing what people will believe. And here's the simple truth. Christ rose from the dead. And they had to come up with some kind of a story to explain it away. But they still never came up with the body of Jesus. They never came up with a body to this day. You go over there to Jerusalem. You go to the place that's purported to be His tomb. And it says over the top of it, He is risen. It's empty. He's not there. Mary Magdalene conversed with the Lord in the garden. That's what she said. Her women friends also were in no doubt that they had met him and they they reported that to the disciples. Matthew 28 verse 9. Then there were those two men, Cleopas and his travelling companion who had been walking on the road to Emmaus. You had those who were at the table, the eleven of them. And they saw the nail prints in his hands and his feet. Peter and the others at the Sea of Galilee who were fishing, they saw the Lord. Five hundred at a different time saw the Lord. the Lord even ate food in front of them fish and bread two of my favorite things by the way, fish and bread that's what Jesus ate, because he was really alive listen, the witness of the New Testament is clear the witness of Christ is clear, the witness of the Old Testament is clear and finally there's the witness of the Apostles, I haven't again, got the time to go through all of these scriptures, but you will find in Acts chapter 1 that when Judas Iscariot had killed himself, they needed to find somebody to take his place in the apostolic band. And when they made that appointment, here's what they said. Beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, that's Jesus, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. See, that was the thing about the fact of the resurrection. It was central to the witness of the apostles. You'll notice a number of times that they said this. We are witnesses. Do you know, to be an apostle, you had to be a witness to Christ's resurrection. And the characteristic of the preaching of the apostles in the New Testament that stands out was the power with which they preached the resurrection. They weren't afraid to preach it. If it was a hoax, if it was such a silly little story, why would they risk their lives for that? Here are men who, as I've said, were afraid we're up in the upper room because they were afraid. And then something happened. They met the risen Christ. And from that day, all the fear disappeared. And you find them boldly proclaiming his resurrection. Do you think it's sensible that men would be allowing themselves to be laughed at, mocked, but more than that, persecuted? Put to death, put in prison for something that they knew to be a lie. They knew it never happened, but they were going to continue with the story anyway, even at peril of their own lives. That doesn't make sense. These men saw the risen Christ, they knew that he was alive. And of course, you have these examples of the Lord appearing to men even after he had gone to heaven. You read about Saul of Tarsus, his conversion. Where was Jesus at the time? He was in heaven. Just before that, Saul had been at the martyrdom, at the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And as he was being stoned to death, he heard Stephen say, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. The risen Christ. You go to Revelation You see there a vision that John the Beloved has. What is it? It's of Christ in Revelation chapter 1. The Son of Man. And He's the risen Lamb. You go on through Revelation to see the worship that's taking place in heaven. And they're singing to the risen Lamb. The Lamb that was slain, but is now alive. I am He that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That's what Jesus said to John the Beloved. And thank God today we know and we are witnesses also to this fact that Christ is risen. This is at the heart of gospel preaching. There is a living Savior. One who is able to save you to the uttermost. One who is able to change your life and to make life worth living and ultimately to take you to heaven to be with himself for all eternity. I would say to you this morning. Behold him there. The risen Lamb. Our glorious spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am. Whoever lives and pleads for us. May the Lord help us all to rejoice in the risen Christ. Even today.